Good morning. It is great to see you guys. My name is Nathaniel, uh, and I am honored to be with you this morning. I am so grateful uh, that we have been able to continue to meet during this time. Uh, I actually just talked with somebody um, just this past week, pastor up north who is not able to meet because of COVID things going on uh, within their state. And so I am grateful to be able to be with you all this morning and, and that we can meet together. Um, I want to say welcome to anyone who's new, uh, any new visitors or uh, anyone who's listening online for the first time. We are very grateful that you are here and joining us, that you chose to be here this morning because I know you don't have to be. Um, and we would love to get to know you a little bit more or answer any questions that you may have. And a great way to do that is over here at this table, we have connect cards and you can fill out any information, contact information or put any questions on there and we would uh, gladly get in contact with you. Um, a reminder to all members of Storehouse House. That is also our giving box. And so if you are a member, uh, please give your tithes and offerings there or online at storehousemcallen.com uh, slash give, I believe. Um, we have been in a series, a discipleship series, since the beginning of the year, really. And we're actually getting very close to the end of it. Uh, we have today and next week, and then we'll be done with the discipleship series. Over the course of this whole series, we have seen an undercurrent, a, a theme that's kind of gone throughout of love. And we've seen, especially, Eric has done an amazing job uh, during worship where he is emphasizing love and what that actually looks like uh, in the life of a believer, in the life of those uh, in the Old Testament. He was talking about David this morning, being able to express that love uh, that he has for God and how that actually informs the way he, that he lives every single day. And so in discipleship, love is vitally important. We have to be able to love to be able to uh, be discipled and to disciple. Love is something that we are commanded to do in scripture. We are commanded that we should love God, that we should love others, and also that we should love ourselves the way that God does. And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna be looking at what it actually looks like to understand that we should have this love and then to grow it so that we can actually disciple well in every relationship that we have and to be discipled ourselves. Because let's be honest, we cannot be discipled ourselves if we do not have genuine love for God, for others, and for ourselves. We have to have love according to scripture. And because, I mean, uh, the key thing here is that God is love. See, God doesn't have the attribute or the, the trait of love only. He is love. Love itself comes from God because that is who he is. And so if we actually have true relationship with him, then love is part of the package. We have to be able to love if we say that we know him. And there's a few challenges that we have to love, and I recognize this. There's a few challenges uh, that make it difficult for us to love the way that God wants us to. And we're going to just go through a couple of them, and I hope some of these things may be encouraging and maybe resonate with you individually. I know for me, all of them have resonated with me um, to some degree or the other. And so our first challenge is to how we can love God. What, what's the challenge to that? Well, there's two things I've got, idolatry and spiritual dryness. 
Now, idolatry is the uh, worship of anything other than God. And so that one's kind of obvious, right? If you worship something other than God, then you're not loving God the way that you should, the way that scripture tells us to, okay? We, we hear that a lot. We know this. I want to focus on spiritual dryness, though. Because spiritual dryness may be we're, we're, we are loving God as best that we can, and, and we're pursuing him. We're doing the things that we're supposed to, and yet we have seasons where we just feel like God is just not there, where you just feel dry, like there's a drought, where the spirit of God just doesn't seem to manifest itself. Whether, I mean, you could be reading your Bible every single day and, and you're just like, God, are you even here? Are you even in this? I, I just don't feel you like I did before. Or maybe I've never felt the things that I hear other people talk about. There's just a spiritual dryness. And this is something that we all go through, okay? Every single believer goes through periods of spiritual dryness. And the difficulty is that when we go through these periods, we don't recognize them for what they truly are. Rather, we immediately jump to doubt and jump to the conclusion that, man, God has left me in some way, or he's left me out to dry. And like I said, we all go through it. And so I'm not, I'm not speaking any kind of uh, condemnation on you for feeling that. I feel it all the time. I understand what you're going through, but it is a reality that we do just have periods of spiritual drought. And so if that is you this morning, maybe you're in that kind of uh, season right now, I want to speak a little truth to you, and then we're going to talk about it in more detail later, but I just want to tell you right now that God loves you. He has adopted you, and he has saved you. They're simple truths and yet they make all the difference. Whether you can feel it or not, those things are still true. And we're going to talk more later about how to um, overcome a spiritual drought, dryness. Number two, we are commanded to love others. This one's pretty obvious for discipleship especially, right? If we're in relationship with other people, we, we should love them so that we can best care for them and be cared for. The biggest challenge to loving others, though, I would say, is loneliness. And I'm sure many of you have felt, I know I have, that you can be lonely even if you're in the midst of a room full of people. Loneliness is the result of cutting ourselves off from relationship, from deep, meaningful relationship. And so you could, you could be maybe in your room all the time, and like during the COVID season last year, but you didn't see anybody for weeks on end. And man, loneliness, yeah. But you could also be in a house full of people where you're surrounded by children, by, by your spouse, where you're surrounded by other family members, or surrounded by friends, roommates, whatever it is, and yet you still just feel lonely, like there's no connection Man, I say to that, God created us to be relational. Relationship is part of who we are. And so it definitely makes sense that the enemy is going to attack us by hitting that spot exactly. And so if you're in here and you feel lonely today, I want to tell you you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling lonely. You're not alone in this life and in this journey we're here together as a family, as a church family, going through this together. And so if you do feel lonely, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I really am because it, it's terrible and it sucks. I've been there. And you are not alone. 
Number three, a challenge to loving ourselves because we are called to love ourselves. Jesus says that we are to love others as we love ourselves, which means you have to love yourself. Now we immediately kind of jump sometimes to uh, the sounds a little, you know, prideful to love yourself, right? But we should have love for ourselves because God loves us. And this comes out in self-contempt, self-loathing. And this is another one. I am positive every person has gone through this in some degree or another where you look in the mirror and you're like, mm, that is not what I like. <laughs> or you've got some, some, uh, some issue at work where you just feel completely and utterly incompetent. I just can't do this. I'm just not good enough. Or the way that you care and love for your children, your family members, for friends, and you're just like, I'm just not good enough for them. Why why do they want anything to do with me? These are all things that we think at different times throughout our lives. We all have self-contempt in some way or another, and that's because we are not remembering that God has created us in his image. We are created as image bearers. And in that, God says you inherently have value. And so if, the, if that's you this morning where you are going through a season of just self-loathing, remember that you have value because God created you in his image. Nothing else in creation can say that. That is how special that he thinks you are. And so we've got these challenges, these things that kind of keep us from loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves the way that we're intended to do. All right? And these are just a couple of things. The list goes on and on, and I'm sure many of you are able to think of some of those right off the top of your head because we go through this. These are challenges. These are things that are cutting us off from love because the enemy knows that God is love, which means that if he can make us feel unloved, then we will feel the most distant from God. And so we are attacked in our capacity to love constantly. It is a war that is happening, a spiritual warfare that goes on within our lives. There are forces that are against us, and so we must be intentional and purposeful with pursuing love. And it's only possible through the power of God. Because we're not naturally going to be inclined that way. Because of our sinful natures, because sin has a root within us, we don't want to go after the things of God. Which, if God is love, then we don't want those things, right? So we don't want love. And so we have to rely on God completely to be able to love ourselves, to love others well, and to love him at all. We have to rely on God. And the beautiful thing is, is that we are promised in scripture that God makes this possible. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2 today, chapter 2, 12 through 16. So you can open your Bibles uh, as I prepare to read this. But Paul is going to talk to us a little bit about how God makes this possible for us to love well. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that. We're going to see how God makes this possible. And then uh, the latter half of today's time, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are activities, they're things, they're means in which we are able to accept, recognize, welcome, and pursue God's love. 
and the grace that he pours upon us. And so if you're a note taker, if you're someone that likes to take notes, today's the day to do it because the latter half today uh, of our time is going to be purely just educational of how do you do spiritual disciplines, what do they look like, and how are these supposed to help grow us in our love for God, for others, and for ourselves? And so today is super practical. But that's our main idea to do with spiritual disciplines. Our main idea today, the thing that I want you to remember, is that spiritual disciplines grow love within us. Why are we talking about spiritual disciplines? Why do we even want to, you know, bring this up? Is because spiritual disciplines grow love within us. And so we're going to read out of 1 Corinthians 2. See what Paul says about how God makes this possible for us to love well. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but to himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Father, I thank you so much for this time today. Lord, you do a true and miraculous work within us so that we can love well. So that we can understand the love that you have for us and we can love you in return. And through that love, we are able to have an outpouring of love upon everyone in our lives and that we can love ourselves the way that you love us. And when all these things come together and we're we're able to love well, we will see that we will have a joy in our life that is just not existing without your love. Help us today to be able to understand your words, the scripture that you have blessed us with so that we can pursue you and understand you and, and know your mind. And Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, I ask humbly that you will do exactly what Paul tells us here that you will give us the mind of Christ so that we may be like you. In your holy name, amen. Amen. And so today we're talking about spiritual disciplines, right? Super practical. Before we can get into it though, we have to talk about how spiritual disciplines are possible because spiritual disciplines are a work, right? And we are not saved by works. We are not saved by actions. We're not saved by the things that we do. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's the point? What's the point of doing these works then, right? The point is that when we do actions, it says in James very clearly that we have to couple our actions with our faith because without actions, without doing things, then our faith it's not there. You can't have true faith in Jesus without actually acting upon it. So we have to have actions to accompany our faith. Otherwise, it's non-existent. And in the same way, you have to actually pursue through these 
things, through actions, through doing things. You have to pursue God to actually grow in relationship with him. All right, so an example, a, a very clear example may be a family relationship. Let's say like a mother and son, right? A mother and son have a natural relationship, right? Now, what that relationship looks like could be a multitude of things, but there's a connection between a mother and a son, biologically. It just, it exists. But if that relationship is not pursued through the life of the individuals, then is that relationship actually composed of love? Is there actually going to be any fruit from that relationship? Is there going to be connection? Will the son in 30 years actually think of his mother as a friend and somebody that they want to go to and talk to uh, her about whatever, right? There has to be a, a connection between actions of our love for each other. And so in the same way, you have to have actions that accompany your faith and your relationship with God because if you, if you don't, then there's really no relationship happening. Now, God has done his part. God acts and pursues and, and wants you constantly. God is doing action every single day. And so it's not on God then. God is doing his part. But that means that we do have a responsibility to actually pursue God and to do our part. Just like with the mother and son, if the mother just constantly pursues and loves and does the actions, but the son never does anything back, then the son is not going to show love throughout their life. There has to be a back and forth between both parties for relationship. And God made us this way very clearly because he wants to have an active, true relationship with us. And so there has to be a give and take. There has to be a back and forth. That's why we want to pursue spiritual disciplines. We want to pursue ways that we can take this relationship and make it stronger, make it greater, to grow love within us. And I talked about how this is impossible without God, and it's true, because we, we don't have the natural inclination to want to love, well, love well. We more naturally incline toward manipulation, or how can we get the best out of this relationship for, for what I want and for the things that I want to pursue, where love is sacrificial, it is serving, it is this back and forth for the purpose of the other. And so how do we get to the place we're able to do that? It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person within the Trinity that does the most action within us on a daily basis. And praise God for that. Praise God for the, for the trans. Form, the transformative grace that he pours within us every day. Because, I mean, I know for sure that I am not a person naturally that is going to care for people well. It's just not me. Before I was a believer, pretty much all my friendships and relationships, which I wouldn't have been able to articulate at the time, but looking back on them, they were all about what I got out of them. 
whether it was a dating relationship, how can I feel the best about knowing that somebody kind of likes me or somebody wants me? It was uh, friendships where, man, how can I feel the most loved or, or how can I feel like, you know, I've got, you know, these guys that I can hang out with and I know that they just want to be around me, they want to be like me, whatever it may be. It was all about what I got out of these relationships and when I stopped getting something out of the relationship, then they were gone and I really didn't care. I mean, that, that was me for the whole first part of my life. Before I knew Jesus, before I knew what relationship and what love actually looked like, I couldn't love. I just couldn't. When we, when we become a Christian, when we invite the Holy Spirit into us and start following Jesus, the Holy Spirit does something miraculous. He dwells within us. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit dwells within every single believer. And when that happens, a regeneration happens. Our hearts are transformed and made new. We become a new creation. Where I used to be selfish, I could now be selfless. Where I used to only love what I got out of it, what my own gratification, I'm able to love others well. Where, where I was completely lost going through a world where I'm just trying to grasp at these things to find some sense of happiness, I could have true and fulfilling happiness in relationship with God. These, these are the things that happen when the Holy Spirit comes within us and regenerates us and makes our hearts new. There is transformation. And that's the crux of being a Christian. If you really want to know what is it like to be a Christian, it's change. We have to have change because we are once dead and now we are alive. We were once forsaken and now we are saved transformation is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we should welcome it. We should want it. We should pursue it. And I know change is not something we often like, like as individuals. Change is scary. Change is it's difficult. It's messy. But change is how we become more like Jesus. And if we're all honest with ourselves, when we are left to our own devices, are we truly happy with the results? But when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, then we are able to have true joy in all things. And it's because of the change and the transformation that the Holy Spirit does within us. And so transformation, change, this is at the core of what the Holy Spirit does within us. And so I'm going to give you four areas that Paul tells us right here in this passage, four things that the Holy Spirit enables within the believer so that we may have this change and so that we may love well. First, the Holy Spirit enables an understanding of God's revelation. Put simply, this is so that we can have knowledge of who God is and what he does. We have been given scripture. We have been given this. The amount of grace that is in that simple fact is just mind-boggling. That God gave us a way so that we can know who he is, his salvific purpose for us. Because God is an infinite God, right? He is so great and so majestic that we, in our finite thinking, can't 
really understand him fully. And yet through this, God has made it possible for us to know everything we need to know to have relationship with him. Not only that, he has told us exactly what his plans are for us. No other religion on earth is like this. You want to know the difference? The difference is that Jesus Christ tells us exactly what his intentions are. We were once lost, but now we can be saved. Because of our sin, we were damned to hell. And yet through Jesus Christ, we can have salvation and eternity with him. God does not keep secrets from us. He tells us who he is. And he tells us everything we need to know to be able to pursue him and to recognize that he is pursuing us. There is great grace within this book. And the Holy Spirit, when he enters into us and indwells within us, he enables us to understand it. Without God, there is no understanding of who he is because our mind is not going to ever want to pursue him in any way. We're not able to understand him. And yet through the Holy Spirit, God says, you can know me and I want you to know me. Number two, the Holy Spirit enables discernment of God's truth. And this is taking the knowledge that he gives us in his holy scripture, the taking the knowledge of who he is and his purpose for us and within us and allowing us to apply it. Because you can, you can read through this and read sections of this where you're just like, why is that even in there? Why in the world am I reading numbers right now? But discernment, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be able to see the wisdom within his holy word so that we can actually apply it to the things that we're going through today. Something that was written thousands of years ago that has true application to our everyday life. Something written across cultures and languages and yet we can read it and God will speak to us through it. That is a promise that he gives us. Number three, the Holy Spirit enables acceptance of God's will. This is basically saying that we are able to understand who God is and his salvific purpose. We are able to discern the truth and the wisdom within it so that it can be applied to our life and then we can actually do it. We can submit to him and say, all right, God, you say this is what you will do. I see the truth in this and I see how this could actually act out in my life. So let's do this now. And you actually take action. The Holy Spirit enables us to take action. He enables us to be able to actually submit to God within uh, the things that we see in Scripture. And then lastly, number four, the Holy Spirit enables alignment with God's mind, where we have a mind like Christ. And so the first three ones are really just kind of collecting knowledge, uh, wisdom, being able to apply things, be able to work through things uh, on a cognitive level, being able to then actually do these things. But this last one, the alignment with the mind of God, allows us to do all of that and have joy that we're doing it. Because you can do all those things, right? 
You can, you can live studying scripture. You can live trying to act these things out and, and apply them to your life in whatever way and absolutely hate it and just feel obligated the entire time. But he says that if you are my follower, if you are actually allowing the Holy Spirit to do something within you, then I will give you full joy as you do these things. And it's possible It's truly possible to obey him, to be able to sacrifice those things in our life, those sins in our life that, let's be real, we kind of like. Otherwise, they wouldn't be very tempting, would they? But we are able to take those sins and put them to death and do the things that are necessary to pursue and love God and be happy about it, to be joyful. It's possible I mean, that should be something that really leads us to such uh, joy within itself. Just being able to say that the things in our life that are keeping us from God, we can kill. We can put them aside and it's not going to feel like we're being cut away or feel like we're sacrificing something. Because too often that's exactly what we think right? We think of these areas of our life that we're like, man, I really shouldn't have anything to do with that. Uh, And if I do cut it out, I'm just going to feel really maybe uh, lost or I don't know what to do with myself. Um, A a very specific example of this uh, from my own life is when I became a believer. I was in university. I became a believer and I had a whole group of friends from before I was a Christian. Um, The friends that I would go out with and do all kinds of stuff. And those relationships, uh, none of them were Christians. And none of them wanted anything to do with Christ. I got to the point within my very first year of being a Christian where I very quickly realized that every time I hung out with them, I went back and did all of that again, right? Even though I wanted to love God, I wanted to pursue him, I wanted to be different, I couldn't when I was with them. And so one of the hardest things that I did in my early Christian walk was I cut off relationship from them. And I told them straight up, I was like, guys, I'm a a Christian now. I want to follow Jesus. And honestly, when I'm with you, I want to do everything um, everything that we used to. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand now, thankfully, I had, a, I had a pretty good relationship with them where actually they all kind of took it rather well. They were like, well, man, that, that kind of sucks, but we don't want you to, you know, be unhappy when you're with us or anything like that. And so they actually, uh, it was a pretty good kind of split, but I had to cut off relationship with them completely and not hang out with them. And I haven't hung out with those guys since then. It's been a very long time. And it's because I know that my temptation, the sins of my past, I want them. I I do. Like, my flesh wants to do those things. And so I have to just not be with it. That could have been one of those things that kind of breaks you, right? Because this, I mean, this was my group of friends. Like, a lot of people that I hung out with for a lot of my life. That's something that it was difficult at the time right? And yet, God gave me great joy in the midst of it because I was able to say, okay, I'm going to put these things aside, and that, it does suck. 
but I am able to go forward knowing that I have made a choice to pursue God instead of pursuing my own gratification. There is great joy when we are able to put away our sin, put away our temptation, cut things out of our life that really shouldn't be there, and be able to pursue him fully. And it may not feel like it leading up to it. It may not feel like it when you're doing it in that moment. But the Holy Spirit says that he will align your mind with Christ. So there will be fullness of joy. And so I don't, I don't know who is in here where there's maybe something that you're thinking of. And it is tough. And I, I know that there's all the reasons why you shouldn't. But God wants relationship with you. And if something is in the way of relationship, cut it off. I mean, Jesus said, you know, to uh, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin, to gouge out your eye, right? He was saying we need to go to drastic measures so that we can be in true relationship with God, so that we can actually know who he is and do that within our lives. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the power to do that, and he promises that even though it is difficult, you can have joy in the midst of it. The results of all of this, the results of all four of these things that God is doing within us, that the Holy Spirit does within the believer, is that we are able to love better. That we are able to love God, love ourselves, and love others well. And it's not a quick and sudden thing all the time. Like there's moments when change happens, you know, right at the second. But as anything in our life, it's usually a journey. It's a process. It, it's, it's something that takes time. And later on in 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 3, right after this, Paul is going into, hey, believer, you've got to go from milk to meat. You've got to begin to mature in your relationship with God. This is how it happens. The Holy Spirit's doing these things so that it can happen at all. But you actually got to start eating meat. You have to start maturing in your relationship. And the, the way that we can do that is through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the means by which we can grow in all of these areas. They are actions in which we may mature. Where, and these four areas with the Holy Spirit, they, we are naturally gifted and strong in some of them and not in others, right? Some of us may be really good at being able to read this and understand what it's saying. Theology, doctrine, we're like, yes, I got that. I mean, that's an area for me that I love. The uh, discernment, the application, some of us have more wisdom than others where we're able to read a passage and be like, oh man, this really affects something I'm going through, right? right now, and I am so encouraged by that. Not everyone's really good at that. You know, I, I'm not always the best at that. I like just the, the facts of theology, right? And, but yet, that discernment, that applying, and I can tell you Eric's one of the ones that, you know, he's been able to speak wisdom into my own life, and I'm like, I never even saw how this, like, affected my situation, and he's able to speak that into me because he has wisdom that I'm just not naturally gifted at, and yet the Holy Spirit says, I give you all these things. We may be good at just doing things. My wife is one of the ones where she is able to read scripture, see the truth in it, and she's like, okay, God, you tell me this is the best thing for me, done. I'm going to do it. May not understand all of it, may not know the way atonement works in the midst of it, but I don't care. I can just do it. 
And I'm like, I want to know why. <laughs> I want to know the reasons. We are all gifted in these areas. And there, there's some of us who are just so good at just having joy in the midst of all these things where no matter what is thrown against us, we're able to just have joy and know that God is there for us and comforting us. And some of us just aren't good at that. It's okay for us to be at different places in these areas because we're all made uniquely. We're all made in a special way so that we worship God in unique ways, so that we are able to understand him in unique ways, and that our relationship with him is going to be varied. Just like relationship we have with anybody else where there's different ways that we have relationship with one another. Spiritual disciplines are ways in which we can take all of those areas, though, and mature them, get better at them, focus on these areas so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to do something amazing within us, that we can invite change. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. It is important for us to train, to actually do the actions, do the steps and make it habitual so that we can be trained in godliness, that we can be trained so that we can love God more, so that we can accept his love for us, so that we can love ourselves and love others we have to train to do this because we're not naturally inclined that direction. And so spiritual disciplines are wildly important because if we want to be able to love, you have to do something about it. You can't just expect it to happen. And so today I'm, I'm going to go through eight very specific spiritual disciplines, okay? These, these are the things to take notes on. All eight of these are grounded in historical Christianity. They're things that have worked for centuries for Christians. These are things that are, are definitely applicable to the Christian life. And then there's more, right? There, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines. These eight are kind of the core ones, though, when it comes to us being able to grow in our love, in our relationship with God. And they're all useful. Some are going to be more fruitful for you than they are for others. Like I just talked about, we're strong in some areas, weak in others. We also naturally worship in different ways than we do, than other people do. And that's totally okay. You don't have to worship the way that I worship. We all worship differently. Some worship through artistic means, being able to just go and, and paint something. And that is for them a, a way to worship God. I cannot do that. My stick figures won't really get me there. Um, so we all worship differently, right? So we, we want to be able to understand that some of these are going to be very, very applicable for you individually. Some of these you're going to be like, oh, that would be terrible. And that's okay. It is totally okay for you to uh, be stronger in some areas than you may be in, in these other ones. But my encouragement my encouragement, because a lot of these are also tied in with commands in scripture. My encouragement is that over this year, okay, 2021, we're at the beginning. So in 2021, my encouragement is that you try all of them at least once in some way. And we'll talk about what that progression could look like for all of them, but try all of them at least once. 
And then my very specific challenge to you is to try one of them this week. Be very intentional with your relationship with God and say, I'm going to actually do something to grow in my love, to, to grow in my relationship. And like I said, these, these are all activities. They're all things you do. And there's going to be progression. Okay, I'm a runner and you don't just decide I'm going to run a marathon and go and do it. You start running 200 meters, walk a little 200 meters, then you increase it. You move your way up. And so you want to have a progression in your walk uh, with Christ as well, because you're not going to be right at the end, okay? That's not going to happen. And so think in terms of progression. So as I talk through these, don't think of the end game. Think of what's the very first step that I could do. And, and we'll talk about that specifically with some of these. All right, let's get like super practical, guys, as we kind of go through these uh, fairly quickly, but um, hopefully uh, they will inform you a little bit of each one. And so the first one is prayer. Now prayer, we may automatically think of, oh, of course you do prayer, right? This is very intentional prayer where you are setting yourself apart from everything so that you can focus on that time. Okay, and I want you to think about it this way. When you are beginning the spiritual discipline of prayer, think of prayer as an avenue of change. And so you go into this time thinking, God, I am going to pray specifically right now. I'm going to put myself in a place with you so that you can change me. You're welcoming change within you in this moment. It's not just to talk about how your day went, not just to vent about the things you're frustrated about. You are saying, God, I want you to change me here right now because prayer is transforming. Prayer in general, I mean, there is something very transformative about vocally submitting to God's will by saying out loud, God, I want your will to be done, not mine by talking through your, your life and your emotions and, and the things that you're going through, all the circumstances, by talking through that with God, with the mindset of, of change, then you're inviting the Holy Spirit to actually speak into it. And you may find that, that there are answers that you have not thought about within Scripture, that God will reveal a way to you through this. Prayer is is alignment with God's will and the truth that is in scripture. And so my challenge for you, if you are going to pursue a more intentional spiritual discipline of prayer, is to think of it as an avenue of change, to go in with that open mindset, and to make sure that you set yourself apart for it, and to do it vocally, not in your head. Actually say it. Okay, there's something different about that so go by yourself, do that. And remember, progression. So progression for this, uh, maybe I'm really just going to do two minutes. That's okay. You can start with that. Say, I'm going to put the kids to bed. I'm going to go out and sit on my porch, and I'm going to do two minutes. I'm just going to pray out loud, and it may be the most awkward thing you've ever done in your life, and that's totally cool. Like, do it again the next day. Start small. Start with a progression and work your way up, and you'll find, I promise, you will find that after, you know, amount of time, you'll be able to spend 30 minutes and not realize that you even spent that long, because prayer is 
transformative. It's amazing. And so uh, that's prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer. Spiritual discipline number two is study. Now, study is one way that is, uh, it's my most habitual way of worship. Study is being able to read scripture or other materials written by believers to point you to a better understanding of who God is and his salvific purpose. And so this, and I want to make a a statement about uh, the difference between just reading scripture, like maybe with your coffee in the morning or, or your time of just reading and study. The spiritual discipline of study is intentionally diving into a passage or scripture so that you can pull the full meaning from it. Okay? You're not applying any meaning to it. You're going in with a clear mind saying, God, what are you speaking through that passage? And you're actually doing a study. Maybe you're studying like the original language in it or what the words really you know, meant and how they tie in with other areas of scripture. Or maybe you're looking uh, at another book even that somebody else has written so that you can have more clear understanding of doctrine or theology. Study is an intentional pursuing of God's knowledge. And so this is, this is another thing where there's progression that comes with this. You don't have to dive in and all of a sudden be like, I'm going to just work through the eschatology of end times. And that's a very difficult subject and it's big words. And you don't have to do that, right? But you could start out super small and say, I'm going to pick up uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I'm just going to read it and see what he says are the basic foundations of being a Christian right? That would be a good recommendation for a book if you want to do that. Um, But study is the intentional time that you spend to know who God is and to know his purpose more, okay? Number three, meditation. This is another one that for me is is one of my habitual ones, the ones I do all the time. Meditation uh, has a lot of different meanings in our culture, right? We often think of kind of the Eastern culture, like idea of what meditation is. And a big part of that is because the truth of God is rooted throughout our world because God is the creator, right? And so people are grasping at ways to connect with him without even realizing that's what they're doing. But meditation has a very uh, strong result within somebody, within your mind, like biologically. um, Like there's a lot of stuff that happens when you are able to clear your mind of everything that's happening. But then there's a difference. See, in the world's idea of meditation, that's where you stop. You clear your mind completely. That's what meditation is supposed to do. But if you're doing the spiritual discipline of meditation, you clear your mind and then you dwell upon God and allow him to fill it back up. And so meditation is not a nothingness. It's not emptiness, but it is rather only God being within your headspace. And so meditation Uh, can start very simple. So if we're talking about the progression of how do I start meditating, how do I even start doing this in terms of a spiritual discipline, take a specific word or a passage from scripture and, and just dwell upon it. Just dwell upon it. And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll just repeat it over and over to myself because I don't want my own thoughts to start coming in. I don't want anything else. I'll just keep saying it over and over. And so one of the ones that, that I do a lot, the one, the one that um, is has an easy introduction is a section of John 14, 27, okay? John 14, 27. There's a section in there that says, my peace I give to you. Jesus just saying, my peace I give to you. 
And it's not like study. We're not going into like, okay, what's the surrounding context? What, what's all this stuff that go into this? We're literally just taking this phrase, my peace I give to you, and you're just dwelling upon it. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work within you. My peace I give to you. This little section has been formative for me to be able to get through frustrations, to get through circumstance. Man, you're going through something and you just close your eyes. My peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Thank God that you have given me peace. There's great worship that can happen in just the simple act of this spiritual discipline. And so meditation, number three. Number four is fasting. Now fasting is something found throughout scripture and I'll say this with fasting, okay? Fasting, uh, first off, is when you are withholding food and not, not eating or drinking um, for a certain amount of time so that you can instead focus on God, right? And so it may be, uh, I'm not going to eat lunch, you know, all week. I'll eat the other meals, but I won't eat lunch. And instead, I'll use my lunch hour to just, you know, be in prayer or, or do another spiritual discipline or, or just to um, read scripture, whatever, right? And so, when it comes to fasting, if this is something that you want to pursue, um, I want you to keep in mind really, really one thing. Fasting always has a goal. Okay? You're not going to just start doing fasting and, and being like, I'm just going to start doing this and, and we'll see what happens. Right? You start fasting because you have a very specific goal in mind. So you, you're going to say, okay, I'm, not gonna, I'm going to start fasting for lunch every day this week because... I recognize that I have been more angry lately and I want to I fix that. I don't want to be angry more. So I'm going to f- go into this time of fasting and God, I want you to transform me and change this within me. Or maybe you're going in saying, God, I right now just don't understand why a certain situation is happening. So I'm going to go into a time of fasting because I need you to give me clarity, Right? We go into fasting with a specific goal in mind. All right? And once again, this is a progression. So start small. Don't be like, oh man, Jesus did 40 days. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't do that. You'll be in the hospital. <laughs> um, but start small. Be like, okay, I'm going to start fasting by only doing a 12-hour fast. It has nothing to do with weight loss. It has nothing to do with, oh man, I'll look better afterward. No, this is all about having a clear spiritual goal in mind. You want God to do something specific and you're asking for it. So start small, do whatever. You can work your way up. Um, and it doesn't have to be complete fast either. Like um, you could be like, I'm only going to drink juice or have fruits and vegetables. I'm not going to eat you know, the things, whatever, whatever that looks like. But th- remember, the goal is, th- our, the fact is you have to have a goal in mind, okay? All right, number five, the next spiritual discipline is solitude. Now, solitude is a very historical uh, spiritual discipline that has been done for centuries. And, and there's a lot of... Uh, I don't know, mythology around like monks and, and monasteries where they do the vow of silence, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, that's actually not even a real thing, by the way. Uh, there's no order of monks that say, I'm just going to be silent for the rest of my life or not speak or whatever. It's this spiritual discipline is where it came from. 
the spiritual discipline of solitude, saying that I am going to take myself apart from everybody else and I'm going to be in silence so that I may worship God more fully. That's all it is. It's purposely setting yourself apart so that you don't have distractions. And this isn't also going into your room and putting music on, right? This is complete silence, as much as you can get, so that you may be comfortable with God's presence. You may be comfortable with your own mind, because we often don't like that either. We don't like being with our thoughts. But we have to have complete silence and solitude so that we can... um, be in prayer, that we can reflect on life. I mean, a big, a big part of this uh, spiritual discipline for a lot of people is going in and evaluating or reflecting upon your goals for like the year, the, your goals for your own life, your, you know, w- these very practical things that you're doing every single day and saying, man, God, is, is this aligned with your will? Speak to me in this moment. Am I actually pursuing you in this or am I way off base, Right? Use solitude as a spiritual discipline to be able to do this. And once again, progression. So this may be two minutes, five minutes, where you're just like, I'm going to get away, have complete silence, um, and just be there with God. May not even come in with a specific you know, goal in mind or anything, but you're just going to sit there in complete silence thinking about God. All right? That's solitude. Number six is simplicity. Simplicity is... Composed of two things, okay? It's composed of an inner posture, which is denying idolatry, okay? In, in your heart, you want to put away the things that are not honoring God, okay? And an outward lifestyle, okay? Simplicity is the idea that we want to make sure that we are living a responsible and a humble lifestyle. Oftentimes, people will use this as kind of the uh, reason for like not having worldly possessions, right? That sort of thing. And that's not what it is. Like you, you can be a billionaire for all I care and have all the stuff you want. But the point of simplicity is that those things don't become an idol within your life. Like your life isn't about these things. There's nothing wrong with having all the stuff that you want, the newest, you know, the newest uh, clothing or shoe or game or whatever it is that you spend your money on. There's no problem with that, okay? Practicing simplicity doesn't mean that you have to just throw those things out. But what it is saying is that you are going to give up temptation, give up idols within your life, that you're going to forego these things that may give you some you know, happiness or some gratification, but you recognize they're pulling you away from God. And so you're going to say, I don't need those things because it's not about my possessions. It's about my relationship with him. Now, I mean, what comes into this too is financial responsibility. Not allowing yourself to continuously spend the money that you don't have because that is basically worshiping these things that you want, but you are too irresponsible to recognize that they're not within your means. And so we have to have financial responsibility as a form of this type of worship. And a humble lifestyle, we don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to have the newest pair of shoes or or your car doesn't have to be super souped up just to be able to prove to somebody that you got your stuff together, right? You don't have to prove anything to anything because God's the only one that you're focused upon. That's what simplicity is. 
And so simplicity is that inner posture, right? But is it also going to be reflected in an outward lifestyle? And this is, this is the one where it varies so greatly. Like for every single one of us, this could be so radically different, okay? So whatever that looks like for you, I don't know. I actually knew a guy once that he, he spent so much time doing fantasy football that he ended up giving it up completely. And it's now been you know, about 10 years where he hasn't played fantasy football at all, just because he knew that he was so focused on fantasy football. He wasn't paying attention during, you know, service on Sunday. He wasn't reading his Bible. He was getting on and checking, you know, stats and stuff. He was like, I don't know why, you know, this thing is such a problem for me, but I, I'm not spending time with God. I'm doing more time with this. So he stopped playing fantasy football, right? Because that was not important. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but evaluate your life. Simplicity should be something we all practice in some way or another. Uh, Number seven, we're almost done. Submission. Submission is having a humble lifestyle where we are able to give up our preferences for someone else. So this is intentionally going into relationships saying, I want the other person to be loved in this. So I'm going to give up whatever I want so that they can have it. Uh, A very simple, practical uh, progression for this is if somebody really, really loves to go eat at Roosevelt's and you're like, I hate Roosevelt's, it's terrible, you'll go with them, right? Because they want to and you want to make them happy, okay? It's a very simple thing. Uh, By the way, submission, the spiritual discipline of submission should be practiced by husbands and wives every single day in a very dramatic way. All right, and if you're not, then you need to repent to your spouse for that and start submitting a little bit to them. Um, Number eight, service. Uh, This is serving, acts of service. This is going out, volunteering. This is doing stuff for other people. Uh, I don't really have to talk about this one too much, though I would say this one thing. A huge part of acts of service is hospitality, opening up your comfort space so that other people may be invited into it. These things are all spiritual disciplines, all eight of these spiritual disciplines are ways that we can grow in our relationship with God. That's the point. So don't think for a second that if you start doing these that you're going to have uh, salvation because of them, but because of your salvation, do these things so that you may have an abundance of grace within your life. These are amazing, They're, they're awesome, they're wonderful, and I encourage you all to try them because God loves you, and God wants you to have the fullness of joy possible through that relationship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you so much for all your grace. God, thank you that you love us, that you have uh, given us the ability to love you, to be able to love others, to be able to love ourselves and recognize your grace within us. Allow us all to go into this week and the rest of our lives with the mindset of you will change and transform me so that something amazing can come out of my life through discipleship, through relationships, through our own faith. God, you change us and you transform us and that is a cause to worship and to celebrate. We praise you in this. We praise you in all things that we do and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you enable us to worship in a brand new way through these spiritual disciplines as we pursue you more. In your holy name, Amen.